to be able to take it to that next level. That's what I'm excited about. Mills, quick pass. Nico at the five. Nico in the end zone. The dagger. And Grenard with the sack back at the 25-yard line. Touchdown, Houston. Rock and roll. Tremont Smith, coast to coast. There is no offseason for your Houston Texans. Game day is every day. Now, it's Texans All Access. Welcome, everybody, to a TGIFF edition of Texans All Access. Those two Fs stand for Friday in football in whatever you want to do. it. if I had a third F, I wouldn't be able to say what that is on the air. Although I'm sure I've probably said that word on the air and it's gotten bleeped out. I've only done that one time. And I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, silent reporter, joined by the voice of the Texans, my good pal, my radio cohort. We've done radio from all kinds of places, closets in Denver, stages in Houston for the draft parties, and of course, many times in the Hyundai Texans radio studio. Mark, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Johnny, it's a beautiful day. It's always a football Friday here on Texans All Access, right? It definitely is, and I, of course, got to tell the people I was out at Houston Pro Day. I'm, I'm going to save my Houston Pro Day discussion for a little bit later because I know if anybody follows this draft and have followed the draft or have followed the Cougs, they know there are two guys, and I have two Cougs in the Harris 100. I got Marcus Jones, the corner, nickel, return guy who's just a stud. He didn't work out today. And then you got Logan Hall, who has just continued to go up my board. The more and more that I've watched him, and seeing him up close again today, I'm like, man, number 37 for the Texans. That's about it. If the Texans did want him, they're going to have to get him there. I went there with the thought that I would see those guys work out, and I would be pleased with that because they're Harris 100 guys. I left there wanting a center, and I'll explain later on. I want the Houston Cougars center, and I'll explain why a little later in the show. But, Mark, are you ready for gut reaction right off the top? Let's this do it. Draft. Well, it's kind of draft. I actually have got a couple thrown in here that merge the draft along with what's going on. Okay, here we go. Now, this question right off the top was very convoluted, and I just said, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to take it to this. Your gut reaction to the Texans drafting a quarterback at number 13. I feel like if they did that, then they're not that confident in Davis Mills. And I don't expect them to be confident enough in Davis Mills to say he is definitely the franchise quarterback to lead us to the promised land as much as I expect them to be confident in Davis Mills to the point of this is a guy who could lead us into the playoffs, maybe not next year, but maybe the year after. But, you know, you never know what happens. He's got a lot of upside. There's a lot of potential here. Let's play this card in 2022 and see where it takes us. And if it collapses, well, then we'll just get a quarterback next year. If it doesn't, if he shows you that he is that person or continues to show that, because as I said about him, the arrows going up, as Dom Capers would say, I continue to see that in Davis Mills. As long as it keeps going up, as long as he keeps making progress upward, fine. Yeah. But if it flattens out or, or it declines, and, you know, I know there's a, a little ebb and flow along the way and improvement for any quarterback. Uh, if it declines, then you have something else to think about. So I would think that a quarterback taken at 13, Johnny, would be a sign that either they're totally in love with whoever they would take there, Malik Willis or whoever it would be, or 
they're not that confident in Davis. So I wouldn't expect that to happen, but you never know. And if I were them, I'd put it all out there. Hey, we could take a quarterback. We might, we might not, whatever, because you want to be open for trade possibilities. Okay, so, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I, my, my gut reaction to that would be, I don't think that would happen. But if it's one of those quarterbacks that they feel confident gets them to another level or, hey, look, we're going to kick off a competition and Davis Mills and this quarterback we're taking at number 13 are going to fight it out for who becomes the quarterback in the face of this franchise, fantastic. My, my gut tells me that's not – that's not going to happen, but look, we've seen crazier things happen in a draft, like Davis Mills being taken last year, number 67. I mean, I, I didn't see it coming. I really, I didn't see it coming. Thinking back, I understand the logic for sure. All right, sure. Let's, get, let's get to this next one. Now, with gut reaction, you can go, no, no, that's totally false, or, hey, yeah, I think it's true, okay, and this is why. That kind of goes with this one. The Texans are scheduled to draft 3-13 and 13 right now. Your gut reaction to the Texans drafting three times in the first round on Thursday night. True or false? Do you think it happens? If it does, how does it happen? What's your gut reaction to the Texans potentially drafting three times in the first round on Thursday night? All right, more likely it doesn't happen if we're going to go more likely to happen with this yeah, one. Sure more likely it. it doesn't happen that they draft three times in the first round. If they do, that means they traded either – Brandon Cooks or Laramie Tunzel or somebody with that kind of value to get that extra number one pick, or they traded something from next year, the coming years to get back into the first round. Yeah. Look, think about, think about it like this. Their second round pick is high in the second round. Yeah. If we're in the midst. Now I was thinking for a moment when you phrased this question that it would happen before the weekend arrived or that Thursday night arrived. But if we're in the, in the midst of the first round yes. and there's a player dropping or they have a target in mind and they want to move up just a few spots really from where they are in the second round. Well, that might not cost them that much and right. that could happen for sure. So I would say it's more likely that it doesn't happen, Johnny, but uh, if it happens before the draft arrives, that means they've traded a player. If it happens that night, it means they've traded picks. Yeah. I think you're the, the second round moving up to something that they've seen that in 2014, we were up on the, on the stage and, you know, we're starting to close down the show and then we're kind of getting some texts like, hey, keep your eyes peeled. There might be some action like, whoa, OK, maybe they're going to trade it to back in the first round. So we were kind of on pins and needles like, is this going to happen? Are they going to trade back into the first round? They didn't. They ended up staring, staying where they were at number 33 uh, and waited for Friday to make that first pick of the second round. But again, Nick said this and this this now is, is stuck in my brain. When you make a trade on draft day to move up. There's a player you have targeted. Yeah. You are targeting that particular player. And so that's, that's going to be one thing uh, to keep an eye on which player it would be that the Texans would target to move up. Or like you said, uh, a trade of a current player would be uh, Laramie or Brandon cooks, which uh, hope we've, I've said, I hope doesn't happen. But again, as we've, we've said many times in the show on a lot of different levels, business is business. And that's business. Yeah. Okay. Your gut reaction to this stat. Wide receiver, second-year wide receiver, Nico Collins, if healthy, of course, will catch 65 passes or more in 2022. I would say that there's a good probability of that. As I say that, I'm 
phrasing it as a question. Jeez, <laughs> what kind of conviction is that? You just threw this one at me. 65. Look, if you're going to go 58, I would say take okay, the over. You want to do 65 math here? puts it at a real tough spot. Yeah, let's so do the math. he plays all 17 games yeah. and catches four passes a game. That's, that's 68. Yeah. Now, yeah. again, Nico did miss some games. However, hopefully in this year coming back, he'll be healthy, won't miss games, yeah. could play hopefully 15 to 17 games. He averages four to five catches. You're right there at 65. Right. I, I mean, it's the, the math isn't horrible on him catching that many passes in 2022. But here's the thing. If Cooks is still on the team, and I assume he is, yeah. right, he's right. going to catch most the most passes, right? Yes. Then you have – Brevin Jordan upping his game. Right. You're going to throw the, the, to the backs a little bit. And I know that Conley and Chris Moore are still around, but I expected the draft a receiver in the top half of the draft. Yeah. I know we're not going to divide it that way, but you know what I'm saying, right? Right. right. Uh, it would not surprise me at all. Day two, they draft a receiver. They're going to draft a receiver in the first four rounds. I would expect. I might be wrong. And maybe there's somebody they like, but that player was off the board or whatever the case may be. So that player is going to take some targets away and receptions away as well. Uh, I do like that, though. When you break it down like that, I would say there's a good chance. But I think the number is going to be right around there, Johnny, right around 60, 65. I think that sounds pretty reasonable for Nico Collins in year two. And I think what's also important is the touchdown receptions, you know, the amount of times that you're able to cash in in the red zone. And let's see if this Davis Mills number one efficiency in the red zone number holds up or how well it holds up over the course of a 17-game schedule. Okay, this is this gut reaction is more a probability, so to speak. There will be a University of Georgia prospect drafted in Houston in 2022 on either side of the ball. You know... Uh, it, it, this is what I put in my Vandermark, right? That the 13th pick. Yeah. Anybody from Georgia. <laughs> anybody from That's Georgia. what I put. Anybody from Georgia. Shameless That's, plug you know, for the Vandermark. Yes. It's yes. easy to draft that way. You're like, well, who's available from Georgia? That's our <laughs> pick. Next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, um, I want to ask you, is Trayvon Walker legit as the top prospect in this draft? Possibly. All right. As some are saying, it's funny how the media runs with different things, Johnny, sure. where they get yeah. it, where they're not getting it. Is it real? Is it not real? But all of a sudden t- people talk about stock and I know you do your stock report. It's so <laughs> funny to me because I don't think these are really GMs talking. No. What GM is really going to reveal anything? If you're Albert Breer or one of these reporter types and you're talking to a GM and he tells you something, are you really going to believe that? No, I don't know. no. No, this is lying season, as it's called. Yes, yes, it's draft. It's the draft, but it's lying. It's lying season. I mean, I, I saw, I saw, yeah, uh, our Texans employees today. Nick was at University of Pro Day, and we chatted for a little bit. But the one thing you know that I never do is I never ask him about any of the prospects or anything there, because I don't right. want to put him in that position of, yeah. you know, what I really like this guy. But I'm going to lie to John and you know, tell him no. But um, so, yeah, it is, it's, it's lying season. And everybody has got uh, something in their, in their back pocket that they're holding on to. Okay. The greatest 
Texans draft in history mm-hmm. was 2006. Your gut reaction to that? Yes. Yes. I know Drew Doherty will say it's 2009 because Arian Foster was an undrafted free agent. Ah, yes. Right? You had Brian yes. Cushing in that mm-hmm. draft. You had Connor Barwin in that draft. I think Bryce McCain was in that draft. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but 2006 is the best draft in Texans history because you have Mario Williams, D'Amico Ryans, Eric Winston, Owen Daniels. Uh, you had Mike Brazel as an Ooh. undrafted free agent. You had a lot. David Anderson was in that Seventh draft. Round, yeah. Yeah. You had a lot going for you in that draft. And when you look at, uh, look, I know Mario, did he live up to the hype of a number one pick? I don't know. But Mario, for a while, was on a near Hall of Fame track. And if you don't believe me, look up the numbers, kids, because yeah. yeah. it was there for him. It just didn't sustain itself over a long enough period of time. But he was, uh, look at the Mario Williams numbers versus the Jadeveon Clowney numbers. Mario put up better numbers as far as sacks go, for sure. Uh, and I wanted to ask you something else. With this Trayvon Walker hype at being the possible top pick in this draft, Johnny, Yeah. better prospect going into the draft, not after, not after we see everything and it's all hindsight, mm-hmm. 2020, but prior to the 2014 draft, Khalil Mack or, or Trayvon Walker, which is Khalil- a better prospect going into the draft? Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack was a polished pass rusher um, who – not only got to the quarterback, he made plays when he got to the quarterback. And that was, you know, Trevon Walker still doesn't do all of that with regularity. He still has a long way to go from that perspective. Now, from a violence setting the edge, that kind of thing, size, that's Trevon Walker. But Khalil Mack was a special dude when he came to rushing the quarterback. Khalil Mack, I would put ahead of him. I, I think a lot of times, what would the Texans have done had they taken Khalil Mack at number one as opposed to Clowney? I mean, looking back, it's easy to say that because Max had, well, I should say, a longer career. I think Clowney's had a good career. I think Khalil Mack has had probably a shade better. But would Khalil Mack have fit here better than Jadeveon Clowney would have? And I think that's a debate for a lot of people to have. So from that perspective, things get a little crazy. All right, here we go, Mark. Next gut reaction. The Texans... Right now, have 11 picks mm-hmm. in, the fir- uh, in the draft. I wish they had them in the first round. But they got 11 picks in this draft. <laughs> yeah. Your gut reaction to the Texans drafting 10 players or fewer in this draft. You think there's a possibility of that happening? Do you think they trade down and pick up more picks? What's your gut reaction to the fact that the Texans will draft 10 players or fewer in this draft? And they're sitting at 11 right now. I don't think there's any question. Well, there's always a question. Let me phrase this differently. It's going to happen. They will draft 10 or fewer in this draft. I think the number, where's Sean Pendergast when you need it? <laughs> eight and a half. Yeah. That's what I'm yeah. setting it at. I think nine, <laughs> eight. Listen, it, it's all fine, too. Look at what they did last year. Yeah. He targeted certain players, maybe not from the get-go. I mean, right, he had right. – uh, obviously more than he had maybe he'll never tell us like who he really liked that he didn't pick or that he couldn't pick because they weren't in position to pick those players but the ones he liked he moved into position to pick them right right and i believe that that's going to happen here especially when we get past or into round three and beyond 
he'll start targeting certain guys, using the six, maybe using something from next year, doing something like that. Yeah. He's going to figure out a way to get who he wants, and it'll be around eight players when it's all said and done. Because you don't want to draft so many rookies where they might not even make the team. And now what? Are you going to put them on the practice squad? They might get stolen. Who knows? You can't stash players that easily in this NFL. Now, week to week, you sort of can. The way it is with the new practice squad rules, which I assume would continue. I don't know if we got 100% verification on that, but I bet that continues. It's really good for the league, good for these teams. But it's still not that protective of a hot prospect that you just want to stash. So I believe he's going to draft eight or nine in this year's draft. You know, when Rick, when Rick was the GM, mm-hmm. I there were not there were not many times where Rick traded up. Rick was trade down, and you kind of got to a point where you read his rhythms. Okay, trade down, trade down. Now, I, if I remember correctly, in 2008, he traded down, traded down. I think he went back up a little bit to get Dwayne in 2008, if I remember. But he was typically a trade down, trade down. And in 2017, he trades up 13 spots to go get Deshaun Watson. Like, yeah. wow. And it was, it was a bit of a shock because the thought had always been trade down. And I think a lot of GMs want to trade down because they want more at-bats for the most part. But we saw that last year. Nick would trade down. Then he traded up to go get Nico. And I'm pretty convinced the trade with, with uh, Carolina to go get Nico was because Nick looked at it and thought bigger receivers are going off the board. There are good receivers left, but not athletes like Nico Collins. We got to go get this guy. Or we're not getting him in our next pick. So that was kind of the way I felt with that. But trade down, trade up. He did all of that in last draft. Now he's got 11 trade assets, i.e. draft picks, to wheel and deal with. And I think it's important to note that Nick is not wheeling and dealing just to wheel and deal. Oh, just I got this deal. or just I got No, he's wheeling and dealing with a purpose. Last year it was to trade up to go get Nico, to move down a little bit, to move around to get Garrett Wallow. There was a purpose for what he was doing, trading up and trading down. It wasn't just willy-nilly make these trades and, and see what happens. There was, there was rhyme and reason to what he was doing. I think people always think about trading now, trading down, trading down. Well, that's just what a GM does. No, Nick is a little different, and he's going to go up and down based on supply and demand. He's talked about it often. He talks about economics often. That's what the draft is. The draft is supply yeah. and demand. And, of course, the Texans – they need supply. There's no, there's no doubt. And they have a demand for a lot of players. They've got 11 picks. Dude, I'm with you. I think it's under. I think it's 10 or under. I just don't want it to be like seven. That would make me sad. I like talking about draft picks. Well, All right. you, you painted the picture, though. Uh, early in the second round, you move back into the first and or up into the first and get a player at the end of the first that you like. That's one scenario, right? Yep. Yep. You're moving up at whatever rate or wherever you think it could possibly happen, or you do drop down and move back up. I think Rick in 2010, I want to say that he had a chance to get Toby Gerhardt, who everyone thought he was going to take because they needed running back help. And nobody knew Arian Foster was going to be Arian Foster yet, despite the fantastic finish in 2009 with those great final two games. Uh, And I think he dropped back and then came back up to get Ben Tate, who was the right pick. I mean, it was a solid pick, obviously injuries, uh, stymied Ben's career a bit uh, and you know clearly the injury in that preseason paved the way for some other things to happen but yeah the, look it's it's if you draft so many players so many rookies 
it's going to be tough for all of them to make it. It's just, it just is. And if they are all automatically accommodated onto your roster, you might not be as good as you want to be. You brought up a great point about the running backs, which leads me to the last one. Mm-hmm. The Texans leading rusher in 2022 will come from this draft. Your gut reaction. I, I want to say yes. Is that an optimistic yes? Is that what I want it to be? Johnny, you have to get a running back in this draft that can make a difference, that somebody who can explode. Maybe Scotty Phillips is the guy. He's still in your arsenal, right? Scotty Phillips is somewhere still on this roster. He got hurt. We didn't see much of him. Is there something there? Is there something that can be explosively good for your running game and take it to another level? And look, another level for this team could be middle of the pack in the league. That would be fine, right? You move up from last or near last to middle of the pack, and you are looking at a fantastic amount of improvement there. But I think we need a rookie here in Houston that can help pave that way. Scotty Phillips might be that guy entering year. What is it, year three for Scotty? Is it year three for Scotty already? What is happening to time? My kid is driving, and Scotty Phillips is in year three. Time flies. (laughs) Oh, time definitely flies. Mark, you did a nice job with gut reaction. Thank you very much. Thank you, Johnny. Speaking of draft prospects, how about one Charles Cross? Now, Charles Cross is not a name that a lot of people in Houston have been talking about because it's been Evan Neal, Iki Iquanu, and because Larry Tunsil uh, restructured his deal and is coming back. There's kind of been, I don't know, offensive tackle, maybe move to the back burner other than Neil and Aquanu because they are such great prospects. Well, if the Texans do decide to look at a tackle, I give you arguably the best pass-protecting tackle in this draft. His name is Charles Cross. You can find him very high in the Harris 100 because he is a dancing bear on the outside. He is an absolute gem of a pass protector. D.P. Sidhu went deep, deep, deep with Chrissy Freud to talk about Charles Cross from Mississippi State. Again, this is not somebody that's been talked about a lot because Larry Tunsil's coming back and the assumption that Titus Howard will go over to right tackle. And I don't think Cross can play guard or would need to play guard. That just isn't his fit. Iquano and Neal can both play guard, so they, they could fit. I think Cross is an interesting prospect because he is a pure tackle. Let's learn more about him. You never know what happens on draft day. You never know what happens between now and the offseason. You never know. And if you're in a never-know situation, Charles Cross is a guy you have to consider. Like I said, he's top 10 in my Harris 100. Let's learn more about him next on Texans All Access. Texans All Access continues in a moment. Continues in a moment. Continues in a moment. Continues. Back to the show that keeps you plugged in with the Houston Texans. Welcome back to this Friday edition of Texans All Access. And it wouldn't be a Friday edition without a little bit of news. I'm your host this evening, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. I said we were going to talk about Charles Cross in this segment as DP Sidhu did a deep dive with Chrissy Freud to discuss the All-American left tackle from Mississippi State. But before we get there, a little bit of news about your Texans. I just asked Mark at the end of that segment, 
the leading rusher for the Texans will be a rookie drafted in this draft. Well, maybe that's not entirely the case because Marlon Mack is now a Texan, according to sources that we've seen throughout the interwebs. The former Colts running back has been signed by the Texans. So Marlon Mack, if he can channel the playoff game from 2018 into a season for the Texans in 2022, the answer to that question will be false. Marlon Mack will be the leading rusher of this team. But Marlon Mack added to the roster. That happened during the break. Nothing slowing down ever for Nick Casario and the Texans at this point. All right, let's learn a little bit more but an offensive tackle that hopefully I didn't introduce you to in the previous segment. I mean, I introduced him to you, but hopefully that's not the first time you heard of Charles Cross because this guy at Mississippi State is an absolute gem of a left tackle. He has got tremendous feet, excellent athlete. His pass protection skills, I think, are just on point. And in a Mike Leach system, they've got to be. And I'll, I'll give you this. DeMarvin Leal, going into the season, was thought to be a top-five pick. I think I had him number three in Harris 100. I was really excited. The first two years, man, 2021 was not that year for DeMarvin Leal. He was playing to protect himself and thinking about the draft. I mean, it was pretty clear. I mean, he declared for a dr- the draft 24 hours, I think, after the season was over. DeMarvin Leal didn't play like DeMarvin Leal did in the first couple of years. Either way, Leal is going against Charles Cross, and it looked like a JV player against a varsity player. And the varsity player was not DeMarvin Leal. Charles Cross had won, I mean, just dominated him all night in College Station, and Mississippi State ended up winning that football game uh, before Zach Calzada got it turned around, I think, either the following week or the week after when they beat Alabama. Point being, Charles Cross made an uber athlete like DeMarvin Leal look like a JV player next to him. Charles Cross is an absolute dominating presence. Now, I said he's great in pass protection. I think his run game protection needs a little bit more. But our next guest, Chrissy Freud, well, she's got a little something for those people, kind of like me, that I think he can run block. But there are a lot of people out there that don't think he can. Well, DP Sitter had a chance to catch up with Chrissy Freud and talk about Charles Cross. And just wait for her comment about Charles Cross, the run blocker. DP, take it away. It's the Deep Slant presented by Xfinity. We're continuing our draft series on top NFL prospects. And this time we're talking offensive tackle Charles Cross out of Mississippi State. And joining me today is Chrissy Freud. She's the lead editor and writer for Sports Illustrated's Cowbell Corner. She covers Mississippi State sports. Chrissy, welcome in. Excited to talk a little Charles Cross with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. So first off, I know he was a highly touted five-star recruit coming into to Mississippi State, and he's garnered all sorts of awards, All-American, first-team All-SEC. But what went into his decision to enter the draft process now and not stay another year at Mississippi State? I mean, he's only a redshirt sophomore. So can you tell us a little bit about why now was the time for him to enter the draft? Yeah, well, I think if you look at the draft order and kind of this class and all of that, it was just time. I don't really think that he had a ton to build off of moving forward. I don't think that obviously when you have a guy that's projected by some analysts to be chosen quite literally at first overall in the first round, I, I really think that from a draft stock perspective that he didn't see anything else uh, that he needed to do or anywhere to grow and that it was just kind of time to go. All right. So what can you tell us about some of the strengths of his game and what impact he has when he's 
in the lineup for that Mississippi State Bulldogs offensive line? Well, they nicknamed him Sweet Feet because his footwork is so good. That's an area that he's really solid in. I think that's something that's really important, especially at the next level when you're going up against these really talented edge rushers who can change direction on you. I think that his athleticism, I think his athleticism is probably the thing that you hear the most about because you can't be an offensive lineman in the air raid without athleticism. It's a very different type of system. There's wider splits in this offense. Uh, the two-point stance is utilized more than the three-point stance is. It's, it's different from a lot of schemes, but that's kind of to eliminate the glut, and there's a reason for that. And It's a lot harder to stop from the players that I've talked to who have gone up against it. But I think between the footwork, the athleticism, the versatility at pro day, he played right tackle and left tackle. He has a lot of core strength. He really seems to push guys around pretty much at will. And then he keeps his form because offensive linemen, you want them to stay square, which is even more important than whether or not they're gaining or losing ground. So I think tangibly that he brings and that those are all really good things. And then as far as intangibles go, uh, he's, quiet keeps his head down and works but it's a quiet confidence like every every once in a while and he doesn't really say much in interviews but every once in a while they'll ask him something about like the run blocking that that stigma that's kind of surrounding him right now and he'll just say things like watch the film and just leave it at that yeah I'm glad you brought up the run blocking because it seems like you, you mentioned the air raid offense under Mike Leach and and while his numbers were so good in that offense the fact that they didn't really run the ball as much as maybe say other teams that's sort of became a knock against Charles Cross. But, you know, what have you seen from him as far as his preparation for teams that may want to use him more? Obviously, in the NFL, they're going to run the ball. But, you know, what can you say about his improvements or his strengths when it comes to run blocking? Yeah, well, I think that as far as run technique goes, that kind of stuff, um, I saw that Matt Miller tweeted something that a scout who had been watching him and noticed a lot of improvement in that just this season alone. And as far as the run blocking goes in general, the issue that we have here, and this expands beyond just him, is that there's this thing that goes on in college football whenever a player is going on to the NFL. If they were not asked to do something, slowly this narrative builds that not only were they not asked to do it, but that they can't do it, which is hardly ever the case. And I think it's important to note that Charles Cross committed to Mississippi State in 2018 and his true freshman season was in 2019. So you'll notice that that's when Joe Moorhead was here. And that's someone who ran the ball a lot, used the quarterback power run quite a bit, really utilized his running backs. They had Kylan Hill here. And so this wasn't a team that passed the ball much and really did not do well through the air at all. So that's what Charles Cross was recruited to come do. So that means they saw him as a good run blocker and he was actually praised for his abilities as a run blocker in high school. But then whenever he starts to take off is when Mike Leach gets here and he's doing a lot more in pass protection. So I think really you have with him a much more well-rounded player than people realize that is not only versatile, but that could possibly be equally as good in run blocking as he is in pass blocking and, and has already had the ability to do it. I think there's a lot of people that kind of have created this narrative that don't really recognize the fact that he was not recruited straight into the air raid offense. All right, so 2018, Joe Moorhead recruits Charles Cross. In, in 2019, he becomes a freshman at Mississippi State. He plays in three games and then redshirts the rest of his true freshman year and doesn't come back until 2020 when he's starting at left tackle. Walk us through that 2019 through 2020. What went into the decision to sort of redshirt the rest of the year? What was he working on and, and how did he sort of use that time to improve his skill set? Yeah, I think it just had a lot to do with with basic technique, the growing pains as well of just being a new player, 
uh, at the college level. So I think it was just perfecting those small aspects of his game. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, that was something that really showed up and just the preparation he put in really blossomed this past season, which is why he's experienced uh, such a huge rise and why it's kind of hard to view anyone as better at this position than he is at this point. And I also noticed that Joe Moorhead, whenever he was recruited, saw this player coming out as someone who would eventually develop into a first rounder. So I think he's stayed on that path pretty steadily. All right. You mentioned pro day and, and Charles cross showing some versatility there. He, I've seen him get compared a lot to Laramie Tunsil, who's left tackle here for the Texans. Laramie started off his career at left guard and Charles cross. He, you said he played a little bit of right tackle. He's obviously played his entire career at left tackle, but what can you tell us about his versatility? Should teams want to use him somewhere else on the offensive line? Yeah, I think at Pro Day that he showed that he could play on either side of the line, which is something that's really important and something that we've we've seen in the NFL that would kind of give him an extra edge because you'll see other players get drafted and then they'll realize that someone else does better on this other side of the line or something like that, or something will change and it's better to move this player here. So I think the fact that he's able to play in multiple spots, which I think is something that will become even more apparent as he goes on to the NFL level is something that's going to make him even more of an asset for a team. But I think uh, just between everything that he brings to the table and his ability to do well with the run and then with pass blocking as well, I think is going to make him someone you can plug in and will make an immediate impact just from day one. All right. You said he was pretty quiet. What is he like personality wise? What else can you tell us about Charles Cross, the person? Yeah, I think that just as far as interviews went, he was he was a man of few words. I think that he's someone who likes just to let the film do the talking for itself. I think that he would rather show people what he can do rather than boast about it, which I always thought was interesting because he might have been the least talkative player in media interviews out of everybody, but was obviously the big headliner for Mississippi State that really put Mississippi State on the map as far as offseason pre-draft goes. I've been told that around his teammates that he's he's a big locker room guy, like a poster child for someone who you would want in your locker room. So I think that he has a good relationship with his teammates and that uh, he meshes well and that even if we don't see that in interviews, as far as him talking about himself, that he just likes to go out there and and show everybody what he can do and the person that he is and let that do the talking as opposed to talking about it. All right, Chrissy, what can you tell us about some of the other Mississippi State draft prospects that we could look for? Maybe day two, day three of the draft, are there other guys that uh, might be getting selected this year? Yeah, I think Martin Emerson Jr., that was a really big big one for our secondary over here at Mississippi State because had the season Mississippi State was touted as having possibly the best secondary in the nation. His interception total is low, but I don't think that that's really reflective of the talent that he has. I think that he's someone who could be picked up potentially on day two, as uh, someone who did a lot for this defense. And then I also think that Makai Polk is probably one of the most underrated wide receivers in this draft, because right now he's either supposed to be a day three pick or he's more likely not going to get drafted at all. But I thought that his the consistency that he showed here Uh, The route running ability that he showed here was really good. And I think that just it's a matter of that a lot of people weren't really watching him. They had their eyes on some of the other wide receivers. So I think between that, the speed that he brings to the table, that he's someone who could potentially go in and kind of surprise people. Because I think he finished out the season with, I believe it was the second highest total of receptions in the nation. I think it was tied and then the most in the SEC. So he was someone who was just play in and play out was going to be reliable. And then 
I don't know if you've heard of just the concept of running hot and running cool with wide receivers, but to run cool means someone who can play the next play as someone who's not going to let the play before it kind of affect the way they run or the way they play the next play. And he was, he got a lot of praise from our coaches for the way that he was able to do that. All right. Good stuff. Looking forward to seeing where some of these prospects land. That's Chrissy Freud. She's a lead editor and writer for SI's Cowbell Corner. She covers all things Mississippi State sports. Chrissy, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much. Big thanks to Chrissy Freud and to DP Sidhu as always. All right. I was at U of H Pro Day today and went in there thinking I would write up a little bit on Marcus Jones, Logan Hall. But in the end, I walked out of there with a minor football crush on a center. Yeah, I'll explain next right here on Texans All Access. More Texans Radio is on the way. It's on the way. It's on the Texans Radio. The drive continues. We got one final segment of this Friday edition of Texans All Access. From the Texans Radio studio, I am John Harris, your host. Glad you're with me as we kick it around for this final segment and I was kicking it around over at University of Houston Pro Day and if you follow our buddy Aaron Wilson he posted the final scout list I made the scout list I made it I made it you read the scout list and it's Nick Casario John Harris I'm like right under Nick how about that no it's alphabetical order I even told I even told a girl over there I'm not a scout and she just wrote my name down and let me go and I was like okay and I've kind of moved around like I was one, so I don't know. But it was cool to be out there at University of Houston Pro Day. The two players that, if you follow the drafts fairly closely at the University of Houston, you know Logan Hall, defensive lineman, and Marcus Jones, the corner return specialist, uh, just an all-around tremendous, tremendous football player. Both of them are, actually. And Logan did a I think he did everything at the Combine. He did a couple of things today at Pro Day, and he did his position drills, and he is just, my goodness, just a freak of nature. I mean, standing next to him, he was actually talking to Peyton Turner. Peyton Turner was back, the first-rounder selected last year from New Orleans Saints. And Turner's like a shade bigger, but looking at both of them, it's like, man, they're like power forwards in basketball. I mean, just ginormous dudes. And, you know, could Logan Hall be in play for the Texans? I, I would think so, maybe 37. Um, I think I've got Logan in the 50s in the Harris 100. Uh, I'm trying to find this as, as I'm talking, so that doesn't always um, mean I'm going to find it like I should. But I believe I've got him. I got Marcus at 93, and I've got Logan Hall at 47. So 37 is absolutely in play for Logan Hall as a Texan. Marcus Jones is in play. They're both in play as Texans. Well, Logan Hall did a little bit. Marcus Jones has not worked out, did not work out the combine, didn't work out today. He had shoulder surgeries, plural, on both shoulders. So he has not been able to do anything. He's got a medical recheck coming in April, April 13th, I think it is. Now, I don't know if he's going to have a workout at that point. I don't know what he'll be able to do, but that apparently is the news that he's going to have a medical recheck on April 13th. Whether he has one, like I said, I don't know. But Marcus Jones is a whale of a football player. But he was there supporting his guys today. So I didn't know whether Marcus was going to work out. I found that information when I got there. But Houston's always got some players. Like, oh, yeah, man, Deontay Anderson. I'm going to like watching this guy. 
Uh, I called his last high school game at Manville against Katie in the playoffs. I've kind of followed him from afar. He's kind of a linebacker, safety hybrid. I thought he had a pretty good testing day. Ran kind of in a high 4-6 range. Looked pretty good in his testing at 37-inch vertical. He's a five-star coming out of Manville. So, good athlete. David, Ann, and I, uh, hopefully I said that right, David, put on a show. My goodness. David, Ann, and I was just ridiculously good. His numbers, 37.5 vert at 250-something pounds, I think. And had a 10-3 broad jump, ran the four high 4-5, four, low 4-6 range. And just is a specimen. I mean, arms that go for days, thick, physical. I mean, just everything you want an athlete to look like. And Aaron Wilson actually asked me, where do you think he goes? I think he's day three. And I was like, four or five. And I kind of thought, I said five, fifth round, because I felt like it, there's going to be some question about where he actually plays. So maybe... You know, in a 4-3, could he play defensive end? That would be – it would be tough, but I think he could do it. Um, you know, he's bigger than Jacob Martin was last year. So there's a possibility. I think that dude can play. He had a really good 2021, and the athleticism backed it up today at Pro Day. Dave Ann and I getting – actually, uh, a lot of discussions during Pro Day. That's one of the things I like to watch during Pro Day. Who's talking to these players? doesn't mean everything, but – if you look at a guy having a long conversation, yeah, maybe that means something, especially if it's a coach or a coordinator. That catches your eye. So it was a good day. So they, the first drill they did was the vertical leap, vertical jump, and they did it alphabetically. So they're going through, and Mobacar and David Ann and I and uh, Deontay Anderson have all gone, and they get near the end of the alphabet, and they call up Cody Russi in this big, thick, strong-looking dude steps up. And if you've ever been to a pro day or watched the combine, these guys take forever to do things. Like if they're doing a vertical leap, they get their feet set, and they rock their arms, and they fake like they're going to jump, they get ready. Cody walks under there, gets his feet, looks up, and jumps. And I'm like, I like this guy. Then as he jumps, I'm like, oh, my God. He comes down, and I'm like, that's pretty good. He goes again. He hits another couple rungs, and the scout goes, Cody Russi, 30 inches. Like, that's a really good vert. We go inside to do the bench, and he gets under the bench. Again, going alphabetically, so he's at the end. And he gets under the bench, and I watch him do the first rep, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is about to get fun. 38 reps of 225. Went outside, ran to 40, 5-1-5 in the 40. And I'm like, dang it. What? Why am I just now hearing about Cody Russi? Like, what's the deal? Well, I found out he's a transfer from Louisiana Tech. So he only played one year at the University of Houston. As I got home, I like, quick found some film of him. I'm watching him, like, getting even more mad at myself. I'm like, why didn't I, why didn't I see this guy before? Strong as an ox. There are some things he's got to clean up in his game. There's no doubt. But the athleticism and the toughness, he knocked James Lip for, oh, my gosh, I felt so bad for Lip. He was holding the bags for him as they did some different drills. And Lip was just taking the, the Cody Russi experience. But Cody Russi, center, University of Houston, I, he's a day three guy. I hope he gets drafted, and I hope he ends up in Houston. I would love to see what the Texans were able to do with a just strong as an ox player like Russi with some athletic ability. Man, it was fun to see a guy like that. I fell in like with a center today at Houston Pro Day. How about that? Big thanks to Mark, to DP, Chrissy Freud, my man Robert Harris, to all you for listening. We'll see you next time. And as always, go Texans. This is Texans Radio on Sports Radio 610.